touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and today we're going to do another behind-the-scenes here at HowStuffWorks. And of course, since this is Tech Stuff, we're going to be looking at a technical aspect of it. And to that end, I brought in our our uh, super producer extraordinaire, Noel. Hi, Noel. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, normally you are on the other side of a window in our, our podcast studio. Where a very fancy microphone hovers above your head. Sort of like looking into a terrarium or something. Yeah. Know? And you're wearing at least one set of headphones, if not two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, while- I, I lost my earbuds. So lately I've been having two full sets of headphones on at once and it looks kind of insane to it people walking by. It is a little crazy. And, and, uh, while an episode is recording within the, these walls, mm-hmm. you are typically also editing another episode at the same time. It's true. So before we get too far into this, let our listeners know which shows do you edit and produce? Sure. So I do Tech Stuff, uh, your other show, Forward Thinking. Mm-hmm. I do Stuff You Missed in History Class. I do Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I do Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And I do Car Stuff. Am I missing anything? I think that's everything. So, so, so really, stuff you should know is the oh, only one. Excuse you don't. me, stuff mom never told you as well. Right. So, so stuff you should know is like the only one you don't do. The only one I don't do. <laughs> so, so Jerry, the wonder producer, handles stuff you should know. Noel handles everything else. I do guest on stuff you should know when Jerry's out, though, and that's true. I've gotten some very kind shout-outs from the stuff you should know army. They, they are, uh, they are nothing if not passionate. You know, they, they really appreciate the work that goes into these shows, as does the Tech Stuff audience. We're mm-hmm. really appreciative of that. For sure. So uh, why don't you walk us through what it's like to produce an episode on your, your side of mm-hmm. it? Because I've talked extensively a couple times about what it takes on my side to create an episode. So whether it's a Tech Stuff or a Stuff Mom Never Told You or whatever, what are the steps that are involved? Sure. Uh, I mean, we recently got some pretty great new digs uh, here in our new office at Pont City Market, which, um, you know, involves for me a much more soundproof environment. We have like an actual studio space that's treated for sound, um, both with acoustic tiles and also like in the construction, they actually put in some sound dampening material. Um, so there is a window installed and I'm on the other side of the window with a talkback mic so I can communicate with the folks that are doing the show um, in case we need to stop or talk about anything. But the most basic uh, show involves more or less just recording everyone, and then uh, I record through um, several SM7B Shure microphones, which um, are actually the very popular for using in like studio work for recording bands. Michael Jackson used them exclusively on Thriller. It's like a really clean, great mic for recording close up and for getting kind of like a really intimate sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what they call a dynamic microphone, whereas a condenser microphone picks things up much farther away. Sure. With the dynamic mic, you tend to cut down on a lot of room noise, and it's just a lot more of a direct kind of intimate sound. So radio in general tend to use dynamic mics, and the SM7 is one of the most popular ones. So, yeah, the dynamic mics, and I've talked about this before in Tech Stuff as well, it's the type where if you get off track of the mic from too far off in either direction, uh, it no longer picks up your your voice as well. Mm-hmm. So so you, if you ever hear like a dramatic drop in someone's volume in a podcast, well first of all, that rarely happens because we usually will catch it beforehand. Uh but secondly, if it does happen, it's generally because a person who's talking has somehow like leaned too far over or as otherwise they're no longer addressing the mic directly. Sure. Condenser mics pick up things from all over like you were saying. I I had um I w- for a long time I was using a condenser mic at home for uh, whenever I had to record stuff at home. And uh, I remember at the time, my dogs, if they were running across the floor, you could hear their their nails, their, their claws. Yeah, or things like the air conditioning, just like room tone is amplified yeah. significantly. So with these dynamics, you know, as long as you're kind of up close to the mic, you're not going to get as much of that. And then there's also processing that I do after the fact that kind of cuts down on some of that. But Right. So so what are you recording into? What What is... 
what other equipment are you using besides mm-hmm. the microphones? Yeah, we, we just got a kind of a new setup um, since we moved into this new space, which is great. So all the mics are fed through like a, uh, a cable snake, which is basically just like kind of a thicker cable that can incorporate several microphone lines into one. And so mm-hmm. that goes through the wall and then it feeds into an Apogee um, quartet, which is a four input um, what they call an audio interface, um, a sound interface uh, by the company Apogee, which has been around for a long time and is really known for having excellent uh, analog to digital converters because that, you know, that's what's going on when you're taking an analog signal from a mic and then you're plugging it into one of these devices and recording it digitally. It behooves you to have a really good conversion so that you're not losing anything in the process. Right. Um, then that is going into we used Adobe Audition, which is just a part of the Adobe Creative Suite um, to record. And um, every every channel of audio goes on its own independent track. So if we have a show like Forward Thinking where there are three hosts, there are times where the levels may need to be adjusted independently of one another. So having them on their own separate track makes that possible. Whereas if it was all recorded in one thing, then it would all be kind of mixed and you would not be able to actually make adjustments. After well, the it also means if one of us is making like some weird noise that mm-hmm. we don't realize, you could actually mute that yeah, on that track. Just and, kill it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of weird noises, uh, one of the things that we're going to treat you guys to a little bit later is something that Noel has creatively done with some of the Myriad of weird noises that have been produced into these microphones, uh, normally unconsciously. And, uh, well, I'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. All right. So the, the microphones you've talked about, you've talked about the, the, uh, processing the conversion of that from analog to digital, uh, and using Adobe. So once something is recorded, what is your next step? Um, so I don't actually edit the shows on the machine, the computer that I record them on. So I actually, um, have a Dropbox account that I use. And so I take all of the files, the individual files, and then I export them, um, to my Dropbox. And then I can access that on my, my laptop that I use. So I can edit when I'm in the office or when I'm out. And I bring them back into another, another instance of Adobe, but I use several, um, what they call audio plugins on each track to kind of process and bring up the levels and normalize the level so that, that no one's louder, significantly louder than anybody else and use what's called compression to kind of you set basically a compressor. You you set a threshold and you say, I once the audio reaches this level, I want it to be reduced a little bit. So that kind of is a good way of like making sure everything is sort of operating on the same volume so that something doesn't just pop out all of a sudden and is much louder than something else. So you kind of have an instance of these compressors on every track and you set a threshold, which is like the maximum volume. And once the audio reaches that level, it kind of like gently, you know, tones it down a little bit so that like you kind of have an understanding of what the maximum is for everybody. Right. Yeah. So uh, th- that is really important with things like a uh, uh, speech, like mm-hmm. lots of lots of uh, spoken word type stuff where you have multiple users. Obviously, with music, uh, it's one of those things that you try to to use in limited amounts because you don't want to. You don't want to. One of the things compression does is it reduces the distance between the softest and loudest moments, and and the more you compress, the more. Uh, the more samey everything gets. Yeah, it's sort of this thing of music, which I mean, I also produce a lot of my own music um, as well. Uh, it's what they call the loudness wars. So, like, if you opened up an audio track and, like, put it into Adobe Audition where you can actually see it as a waveform, nine times out of ten, you're going to see, you know, a waveform typically has a peak and a valley, so like a maximum volume and a minimum volume. But with modern music these days, you kind of tend to see it all as a big giant block because they've compressed it so much that there is no dynamics. So there's hardly any difference between the quietest parts and the loudest parts. With speech, it's more of like a like a Band-Aid. You're kind of just using it to sort of like make sure nothing is unpleasant for someone who's listening to it on, on different systems. So it's like now all of a sudden someone's screaming in their ear. With music, it's obviously a different uh, different problem. Right. So, so with those waveforms... Mm-hmm. When you're looking at that, I'm assuming because I've noticed this with a lot of audio engineers that you can look at a waveform and kind of get an idea of what was an intentional noise versus something that someone's just done accidentally uh, without even having listened to it yet. I imagine that happens fairly frequently, like particularly for small things. I know that I work on a podcast outside of work. 
And uh, often I will be looking at the waveform, and one of the first things I want to do is take out any annoying little things that would be distracting in the middle of someone talking, um, and uh, like someone clicking on keys or something. Mm-hmm. And I can almost always tell immediately just by the size of the little blip mm-hmm. in the waveform that, like, yeah, I think I just need to get rid of that. I don't even need to listen to it because one, I already know it's going to be this this noise, and two, it kind of creeps me out. So um, <laughs> I'm just going to take that out. Yeah, um, um, I mean, like a lot of times, like a click or like a like a somebody slamming their fist down on a table or something, it just looks different visually yeah. than like a natural speech pattern would look. So like us, we call it kind of like a spike. So like sort of like a momentary spike in the waveform, which kind of just looks like a straight line. Right. Whereas, you know, a natural pattern of speech where someone's talking and not really stopping, it looks a lot more rounded and kind of like, you know, you can definitely tell the difference between the two for sure. Right. Well, then let me ask you this. Uh, do you have anything set so that... Uh, like, are there any thresholds set for, for, for noise where anything below a certain amount just doesn't even get picked up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's called, that's called a noise gate. Um, and it can be tricky and I don't use it on everything, but on forward thinking where there's three mics, it just tends to, um, introduce there's potential to introduce a lot more noise because you've got three open mics and people talking. There's, there tends to be bleed on the other mics with, with right. what they call it when you hear, the you know the indirect sound of someone talking on one of the, the nearby mics on a mic that's not being used and once you start getting a lot of that you start getting issues with phase where you start to things kind of start to sound a little swishy and and weird kind of mm-hmm. so when you use a noise gate you set a threshold on the low end um whereas the compression you set it more on the high end so when something falls below a, th- a certain threshold it just kills the channel it kills the audio, but there's different like um, little adjustments you can do so it's not jarring. There's like an attack and a release. So like, for example, you wouldn't want the noise gate to kick in when I just get a little bit quieter. Right. You would want to, and even if it did, you would want it to do so kind of gently and not just be like super jarring and like make everything just dead silent. Right, right. So there's different little parameters that you can mess with to kind of make it a little more natural. So when you are in the editing mode... Uh, typically I assume this involves you not just listening for when we mess up and go back and do something again. So you have to, uh, there's, there's an art to clipping out anything where we're, we've made a mistake and we've gone back. Not that I do that on tech stuff, but I've heard and some of the other podcasts that happens uh, occasionally where uh, you, you have to go and take that part out and then you have to essentially have the bit that came right before and the bit that came after mesh together. Mm-hmm. So so tell me about that process. Is it is it easy? Is it is it does the software do a lot of the work? Is there any massaging you have to do? It really doesn't do any of the work. It, like what I do is so I'm looking at like what's called a multi-track view where you have, you know, Jonathan's track here, Lauren's track underneath that, and then Joe's track there, and they're all lined up, and so you can see when one person's talking and when another person starts, etc. Um, so, what you have to do is you end up making, like, if I'm going to cut out a mistake or even just, like, a cough or, like, a sound that happens, maybe you are saying something and you kind of pause, and then maybe you didn't pick up with the very beginning of what you were saying. You just kind of, like, pick up with what you would have said next. So, what I end up doing is I'll make a mark where I want the beginning of the edit to be. This is in the software. It's just like a digital kind of a locator. So you mm-hmm. make a little point and it shows it to you so you can go back to that and be exactly on that spot. And then I'll make another mark for the end. And then you just cut out what's in between those. But what I end up having to do is like if there's a sound like an S sound or a CH sound that starts it to make it more natural, I'll try to keep the original starting sound mm-hmm. and then edit that into the pickup. Whereas you might have made that S or CH sound again, I'll use the original one and then kind of like crossfade just slightly, which means you take the two bits and you combine them together, but you make it where the beginning of one fades into the next one. So there's no like audio artifact or glitch sound or anything. So so there's a possibility that if you've listened to enough How Stuff Works episodes, you've heard a word where the beginning pronunciation of that word happened minutes before mm-hmm. before the rest of that word yeah. was spoken. And it sounds weird, but it really does kind of make it a little more natural because it's like, you know, folks that do these shows at How Stuff Works, they do so many shows. And it's like, I try to do anything that I can. They do so much research, anything that I can to make 
them not have to repeat themselves too much, you know? Yeah, so yeah. rather than like have people go back and say a whole paragraph or a whole sentence again, I try to just let it ride and do what I can to kind of like join it together and make it work. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, it, there's, it just didn't, doesn't line up and I will maybe have to ask someone to come in and give me another word or something right, like that. Right, right. But typically people don't make too many mistakes and you know, it's, some shows are different than others. Like with tech stuff, I mean, very few edits in tech stuff most of the time. That's been, that's been sort of the history of tech stuff. In fact, way back in the day, when Chris and I were doing shows, uh, very often the show that went up was unedited in the sense that nothing we, – we never stopped, went back and fixed things. If we misstated something or mispronounced something, mm-hmm. we corrected it within the context of the show and kept going. Uh, but the longer that we've done these, the more of those little – bits that we've gone back and, and fixed. It's funny because uh, having being in the position I'm in where I have guest hosts all mm-hmm. the time, I get the chance to see every the way people deal with that, right? Some people are just like, oh, I'm sorry, hang on a second. And then they'll go back into it. Some people will actually mark it with a beep. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person in particular Mr. 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 Ben Bolin. Yeah, he is like religious about that too. He he'll forget to do it, and then he'll stop himself and go back and do the beep. Yeah, and I think that is a legacy stuff you should know. Yeah, Josh does thing. it too. Yeah, Josh exactly. does it too. Um, yeah, because I've I've had Josh in the studio before, and he's done a beep before. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, I don't make mistakes, so I just keep going. Well, it's fun too because I mean it's 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 actually really helpful because the beep not only does it jar you out of your editing stupor where you're like, oh, okay, here's a thing that I need to listen to. Right. It also visually shows up, like we were talking about earlier, as something that's like sort of an anomaly. Yeah, you, know, you start to recognize different. the beep because yeah. it's usually quiet just before it mm-hmm. and then there's a little bit of quiet mm-hmm. after it. So you've got this little isolated word and you know, oh, there's there's something. Uh, Let me go check on the recording real quick. Sure. sure. <laughs> this is This is real time. Real-time checking. Noel's probably going to be cutting all this out, but I'm going to just keep on whispering because uh, he's actually checking to make sure it's recording. And uh, I'm guessing it is. Yeah. All right, good. Probably keep that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that just shows, you know, like, like, well, that's the thing is that we don't have anyone sitting on the other side of the window right now because right. you're in here. No, it's true. So, so we're kind of stuck this way. Yeah, we could have probably asked somebody, but everybody is super slammed. It's all also the time. Friday. You know. Yeah, it's a Friday too. Yeah. And on Friday, you don't want to ask anyone to do any extra work, yeah. right? It's, it's tough enough that we're here. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. Out of all the ones that you do, uh, like uh, uh, I don't want to call anyone out, so I'm not going to ask you whose shows need the most edits. But is it generally the same across the board, or are some of them a little more edit-heavy than others? Mm, you know, it, it, it kind of averages out, I think. But the, yeah. you know, there's definitely a few shows that involve a little bit more massaging, you know. Because like I said, I mean, there's a lot of research that goes into this stuff and you just can't really expect people to get it perfectly the first time. And these, these aren't, people aren't like reading scripts either. They're right. Like, they've got like notes that they've made and bullet points and stuff. So it's really easy to like realize that you could have said something a little bit better. Sure. And, and, and like the medium allows that. Like, you know, you are not. We're not live streaming. You're not live streaming, so you're not held to it. So why not make it the best that it can be? I don't think right. there's anything dishonest about that. No, all. I don't think so either. I think uh, ultimately we're trying to create an, an entertaining and informative podcast. And in that effort, I think it's perfectly cromulent that we. <laughs> Take those measures. I love uh, when you use that word. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things where I, I don't have any problem with that. Whenever I work with anybody who does it in that way, it's actually kind of interesting to think, oh, I have an opportunity to try and get my point across more succinctly, mm-hmm. which is my biggest problem. I'm a wordy guy. Uh, and clearly, that's another issue I can have. Because by being wordy, you overcomplicate things. Case in point right now. All right, so... We've gotten through the point you've, you've gone through, you've done the edits, you've massaged some stuff, you've removed any extraneous noises, you've, you've taken out any mistakes. Uh, at that point, typically, do you do anything else before you send it on for, for the various hosts to QA an episode? Well, I mean, in the same way that I have these plugins on the individual tracks, I also have a, with a mastering, I guess you could call it a plugin on the main bus, which is the master track. So it's like you've got these individual tracks and they're all feeding into another 
like final master volume. So it's the equivalent mm-hmm. of like the one knob on your stereo, you turning that all the way down, it's turning down everything that's coming in, whether gotcha. it's coming through your CD or your, you know, phono jack or whatever. So that's like a master volume, master fader in like audio terms. And so what I have on that is an equalizer, which is, you know, it divides um, the sound up into different frequencies. And I kind of do what's called a high pass, which is where you take um, a uh, it's like a filter that sort of cuts out some of the low, low, low frequencies up to a certain threshold. And like a lot of times that's where a lot of the noise lives. Mm-hmm. So to kind of like do that to the final mix, it just sort of gives you a little bit of a cleaner, you know, sound with without any. Thing that you're not going to hear anyway. We're not doing like drum and bass music or like, you know, anything with like super poundy low bass. So there's right. no point in even having it in there because it just kind of muddles things up, especially if people are listening to it on earbuds and on different, uh, different devices and in their car and things like that. Right. And then I'll have like what's called a, it's called a sonic maximizer, which is sort of like a compressor, but it's a little different. But again, you set a threshold and it sort of like raises the, the minimum volume of everything up to a certain point. And if the maximum volume exceeds the threshold that you set, it kind of brings it down. So it really is like a compressor, but it's, I've always been a little, uh, uncertain about what the difference is because it certainly operates like a compressor, but it's called a sonic maximizer. And it, it's something that you would put like on a final product for like a song if you were making it so that it mm-hmm. kind of like gets as loud as it can be without being too loud or too quiet. Right, of, right. You know. And at that point, uh, you typically send us a notice, us being the various uh, mm-hmm. hosts, where you have stored the, the now edited mm-hmm. file. And give us the opportunity to listen to it to make sure there's nothing else on there that we might want to have addressed. Like maybe there's a point that someone made and we don't feel very strongly about it. Or maybe once in a while we'll have one of those moments where we start a sentence, go back and start again. And we have to say, oh, well, we just need to get this one little Mm -hmm. bit. Uh, chopped out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I edit so many shows and I, like you say, I definitely multitask a lot and, you know, I, and I, I often edit these shows at, uh, double speed just so that I can, like, grind my way through as many of them as I possibly can. And, you know, if, if something is said and then said again really fast without, like, leaving a pause where it kind of, like, you know, makes you realize, okay, this needs to come out. Yeah, I definitely miss things from time to time, but that's why we have this QA process. And right. it's always been in place before I was even here because, like I said, it's just such a volume of stuff that we do. Yeah, and it's, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that's good for all, all parts. I mean, like you said, you're doing so much. Like, so how many, uh, on a typical day when you are recording episodes, mm-hmm. how many different shows are you recording? Usually, is it to the max? No, like, so I record shows Tuesday through Thursday, and then we do pickups kind of on Friday if someone's that's, that's been what out we're or doing yeah, right now. somebody missed something. Yeah. And so we, uh, on Tuesdays, I'll do two. On Wednesdays, I do two. And on Thursdays, I do three. And those are, those are shows. Within mm-hmm. those shows, you, Typically a multiple episodes recording. Right. Yeah. Two to three. Yeah. Cause tech stuff, we tend to record two. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do three mm-hmm. if I'm feeling masochistic. And all or, of our shows, except for, all of our shows, except for, um, stuff they don't want you to know. Cause it's sort of paired with a video show that both of the hosts are pretty deeply involved with. They only do one episode a week, but everybody else does two episodes a week. So not only are you recording all these, but you're also having to listen to them, edit them, and then publish them. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about that is, you know, I mean, I love all the shows and I, you know, there is a certain tedium that goes into like editing all this stuff. So sometimes I need things to kind of break the tedium, sure. uh, which is usually comes in the form of like doing kind of custom music cues for different right. shows or like, uh, like sound effects or like Foley kind of work and things like that. And so it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, I, I tend to really like, you know, have a good time with it. Yeah. And that's one of those things that, uh, you know, we used to do that. Fairly frequently on tech stuff. We had a couple of different things that we like to do. Like uh, back in the day when I would yell out uh, listener mail, mm-hmm. we had a, a whole sound effect of a, a klaxon. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these were things that were gathered, not mm-hmm. produced. Right. right? Uh, and whereas you're talking about actually creating things, not just curating, but actually making them. And, you know, you're, you're a musician and an audio engineer, so you tend to make these things. I have uh, resisted the temptation to to pepper the episodes with such things, but uh, yeah, it's something I'm certainly interested in having a little more soundscaping mm-hmm. in the episodes when it when it's warranted. Well, and we've had some fun, you know, me and you doing some of these more soundscaped episodes again. 
a lot of it has to do with just like bandwidth of like what are you capable of producing in a yeah. week with all the shows that you do, all the shows that I do. But like so far, we've done two for tech stuff. We've done the um, the ASMR episode with Heather Feather, right? Which you know was a little bit lighter on the uh, sound design, but it was a lot of just pulling clips off YouTube and yep. kind of like sewing it all together with like a narration and then the interview bits, which is really fun. But then my favorite one, which is obviously. Um, a little heavier on this stuff is the Negative Land episode where we kind of produced it more like a, almost like a Radio Lab piece or like an NPR style, you know, it really has a kind of a rhythm and a flow to it where right. it's, you know, a combination of sound effects and music clips and uh, interview clips with, uh, with Mark Hostler from Negative Land and a lot of his music that all of which he owns and gave us, you know, full exclusive rights to use. Right. Which is, can be a problem as well because we obviously have to get permission to sure. do stuff. Yeah, so yeah. we can't just willy nilly take whatever we want. Yeah, there's some episode. podcasts out there that kind of fly under the radar and they, they do this stuff. But the bigger you get, the more you have to be cognizant mm. of that. So much so that, that even when you are, uh, you know, we like to be extra cautious just to avoid any problems. Like we don't want to have an experience where we have to take something down. Mm-hmm. For one thing, it's the internet. Once yeah. it goes up, you know, it lives there some, so it's going to be living someplace forever. Yeah. Um, so we, we tend to be very careful about that. And it's, it's awesome having, you know, we have several people in the, in the office who are musically inclined. They're musicians of, of some sort, uh, or another, and many of them write music. So having that kind of opportunity to lean on folks and say, you know, I, I realize this is asking a lot, but if we could, you know, start making something custom for mm-hmm. us that is, uh, is, is unique. Um, as opposed to going out and finding something, would that be possible? So, uh, I would say don't be surprised if a certain show's theme song changes eventually, because <laughs> we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's obviously a, a matter of time and, 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 uh, energy as well. Yeah. But, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, um, apart from your work here and also that you're a musician is the fact that, uh, I alluded to it earlier, you, found very interesting uses for some of the more quirky noises that have popped up in the past. And I remember you had a look of intense glee on your face when you were first playing for me a track Mm -hmm. that was sort of a percussive track that was completely made up of various mouth sounds and (laughs) other noises that you had pulled from episodes from all the stuff you edit and had produced into a music track. Yeah, like I said, I got to break up the, the tedium somehow. So yeah, keep myself entertained. Yeah, I basically like every time, you know, I don't always do it. But, uh, you know, if there's like a odd vocal tick or like a like a click, like kind of like a you know, kind yeah. of sound, which happens when people are catching their breath or swallowing or things right. like that. And again, like these mics people are right up on them so these sounds are really in your face yeah. and very like clear <laughs> and, and, and from, yeah probably something that unless you unless that's your ASMR trigger mm-hmm. you probably don't want to hear it yeah exactly but like from a music production standpoint and like a, like sampling and like electronic music is what I kind of am like have been into lately um, these sounds are so hi-fi like on their own if you just isolate them and you don't even think about what the source is like you, you know there have been times where someone will bang on the table or someone will you know clear their throat or make like one of these little vocal ticks and when you when you when I'm editing them, before I delete it, I will literally highlight it and then export it into a folder that I keep on Dropbox that I call Blips. And it's just, I've got like probably 60 or 70 files in there now, all of which range in length from one second to, you know, maybe 10 seconds for like an interesting loop that I might make of like a, a good throat clear or something. Like that. <laughs> and then I take it into, I use Ableton Live, which is um, a little bit more of an in-depth program than Audition. It's more made for like looping and making electronic music and stuff. And so I'll bring all these sounds in and put them like on a drum machine uh, patch or whatever, where I can trigger them on like a MIDI keyboard. And then I like, so you know, instead of there being a snare sound, it might be someone clearing their throat, or instead of a kick drum sound, it might be that banging on the table. And then you can actually go in and shape them and repitch them and flip them backwards. You can do anything you can imagine with them. And um, so this is kind of what uh, what was created with that. Well, how about we listen to a really quick uh, uh, comparison? I would like to hear, you know, sort of that that early track that you played for me way back, uh, me and, and Lauren and Joe, because it was at a forward thinking recording where you played it. 
and it might have even been, was that the old office, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we listen to that and then let's listen to something that where you've, you've gone even a step further and kind of made sort of, uh, like a, a full, fully fledged song mm-hmm. out of something. So the first one there was, like you said, just sort of when I was experimenting with this and just kind of like, you know, finding different uses for these sounds. Because, again, I, I wasn't trying to make it sound gross or like off-putting or anything. I literally just was fascinated by how cool these sounds could be on their own. And then especially when you combine 10 or 15 of them and like have them occupy different like rhythmic spaces or whatever. But then the second one was a little bump bumper you guys at Forward Thinking asked me to make where, you know, you're always saying – We'll see this technology in 20 to 40 years and right. say it so much that it was like we need a little little theme. So, yeah. you know, the the vocal there is me just talking into my computer speakers and then I made it into like a vocoder patch on an Ableton. But all of the percussion sounds are those mouth sounds. But again, I don't feel like they come off that way. I feel like it just sounds like kind of like an interesting, you know, polyrhythmic texture of like rhythm of, of sound mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, this is a jokey kind of thing. I don't think that that's not what I'm intending to do at all. But no, it, it comes across as I'm sure most people would wonder, like, well, how did he how did he make that noise? Like, how how did that sound? How was that created? And, uh, you know, it goes, it harkens back to our discussion with Hostler over at Negative Land, this idea of found sounds mm-hmm. and finding new ways to, uh, to incorporate interesting sounds in, into a new work of art. Uh, very similar to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and kind of, I would, I would call it like a, a descendant of that same sort of thing, except instead of going for full phrases mm-hmm. or even full words, you're finding individual elements of sound and putting them together. Yeah, it's much more micro. And like what, I, what I'm doing, because I continue to do this, I'm basically developing like a palette of these sounds. And it's like the more I mess with it, you know, I don't, I try not to get like a bunch of the same kind of sounds, but if something pops out at me, then I'll grab it and put it in my folder and then like add it to my, my sound banks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, this is one of the a rare job where I can, like, do this kind of stuff and, you know, have a real job where I edit podcasts and, you know, get to come on and talk on podcasts and make music for them and also get to do this fun kind of nerdy stuff on the side. So, so pretty lucky. Yeah. The fact that you've the fact that you've covered so many and and granted, uh, I'm sure a lot of the time when you're editing, what you're specifically listening out for are are obvious mistakes. But assuming that uh, I assume that at least occasionally you can actually have a moment to enjoy what what the various podcasts are talking about. Are there any particular subjects that podcasts have covered that you found really interesting and learned a lot? I mean, I feel like I learn stuff all the time. Um, it's, it's just one of these things where it's just so much. It's just like yeah. this wealth of information, especially when you break it out into the different shows and the different brands that we do. Um, I think stuff that stuff I'll never told you always really, really interesting topics. And, um, I feel like, you know, everything that tech stuff covers is always really great and gives me kind of like a new appreciation for something that maybe I haven't heard of, like a new technology, like the power wall, for example. Right. That's really, well, that was on forward thinking. That was forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But same, same sort of thing. Like, yeah, very much like the forward thinking and tech stuff I've argued Mm -hmm. quite a bit, especially the podcasts are, are very closely Mm -hmm. related. Uh, forward thinking obviously in many ways has a broader scope because it's anything that's, uh, that's future oriented. But it's just cool to like pull an item out of the news that I'm like interested in. And I, you know, it's so easy, especially when I'm working on a computer all day to like see headlines on Facebook or whatever. And then like, you know, oh, I'm going to bookmark that. Maybe I'll read the article eventually. And then I never do. But sometimes I don't because I'm already getting this in-depth, you know, like version of this headline from so many of the podcasts that I edit. So, I'm, right. you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. And then occasionally our podcast will all gravitate toward a similar topic over, over a certain span of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to hear the same sort of stuff yeah. from different perspectives. Yeah, actually, but- today's uh, forward thinking is on the M drive and today's stuff they don't want you to know is also on the M drive. And I edited both of those um, like in the last 
last couple of yeah. days. So it's kind of interesting to hear two yeah. different sides of it, one and, from and the a, kind of conspiracy angle and one from more of the pure, you know, technology. Pure, yeah, angle. exactly. Yeah. Does this thing work? And if so, how? And mm-hmm. why doesn't anyone agree on that? Yeah. Uh, in that case, it was because the M drive was in the news and that's what prompted both of those shows to record. But that's, you know, it's really kind of, it is funny when that happens. Uh, we've also had that happen with other stuff like asteroid mining and a couple of other topics where, uh, all the different shows, or at least three or four of the shows, would all kind of cover it within the same couple of months. So if people listen to all the How Stuff Works shows, they just they probably just thought we were all pitching the same ideas in a big room. We are all working very independently of each other for our various shows. Um, so let me ask you this: uh, You know, do you have any? plans for any of the shows that are going like I, I know that you've worked very closely with me mm-hmm. to try and come up with interesting ways to keep tech stuff relevant to keep uh, finding new fun ways to produce the show because mm-hmm. obviously I, I have the only show right now that is a single host show um, have you worked with all the other shows in similar to a similar extent um, I mean it really just depends like sometimes the format just really works because I mean a lot of our shows are just sort of a traditional, it's like a couple people sitting down and having a conversation. It's almost like extraneous to like get too crazy with any kind of like sound effects and bumper cues and stuff like that. But then when you, when you're doing more of a solo show, there are opportunities where you're like bringing in interview subjects where it's fun to kind of like bring in different sounds and bring in different clips and to kind of add a little more context beyond just a conversation. But these shows have been around for so long that there's this like legacy involved of like, you know, just like, let's just have this sit down, no nonsense conversation mm-hmm. about a topic and let's just like, you know, unpack it. And so sometimes it's just adding too much too many bells and whistles to it. It was almost, it almost takes away from the kind of like thing that people are used to. And I think that's fine. But then there are certain shows that we are talking about kind of expanding and doing more of like a news, uh, almost like an audio magazine kind of version of, and I don't want to give anything away, but like, you know, not the keeping, keeping an ear out then, mm-hmm. because that sounds really exciting. And, uh, also, since you mentioned the fact that occasionally I do interviews, I think it might be cool to explain to people how things are different. If we have a remote, person mm-hmm. uh, recording with us in, sure. in you know I've done uh, interviews with like Tom Merritt or uh, with Heather Feather mm-hmm. that sort of stuff so explain how that's a little bit different yeah I mean ideally in those situations um, you do what's called a tape sync that's sort of like a news term and what that refers to is is like okay so you're on your end and maybe you're talking to this person via Skype. Maybe you're talking to them on the phone. We actually have a phone system where you can pipe in phone audio to the headphone system here. And then whatever Jonathan says in the mic goes down the phone line to the person that's listening. So I am recording Jonathan's voice on this end and getting kind of a crappy sounding phone version of the person on the other end. But ideally what they would do is record their end in a higher quality setup with a microphone and like either a digital recorder or a computer. And a lot of the folks that Jonathan works with are podcasters. And so they kind of tend to have a little setup at home. Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll record their end. I'll record Jonathan's end. And then after the session wraps, they will send Jonathan or me the uh, higher quality audio file. And then I will take it into audition and just sync up the two. So a lot of times I just have to do that by ear. Um, just kind of like move the audio into place until I can tell that the timing is right. Right. Um, sometimes we'll do a sync thing where we have them have both sides do a clap or something like that, and then you can line up that that sharp line that sure. the clap makes, and then you know that's where the, where it starts, which is a technique they use in you know doing sound sync for uh, for film and, yeah. uh, and video production. Slating, well. mm-hmm. yeah, sure. where you have the the clapboard and you say what the scene is. You do the clap that allows the uh, the editors to match up the the audio track with the video track. Uh, yeah, I've had to do that many mm-hmm. times. And I'll tend to record whatever the phone or Skype audio is as well, in case for whatever reason the uh, the main recording on the, the guest's end doesn't work, which right. we have had happen, and then we'll revert back to using the Skype audio or the phone audio, and it's not as great, but it still is fine most of the time, you know? So, now, we all know that occasionally technology goes astray. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's particularly difficult if you are editing one show on one machine and recording a show on another machine uh, to notice if something has gone wrong. Have there been 
I know the answer to this, at least for my case. Have there been any cases where uh, an episode has either like there's been a corrupt file or so for some reason the thing stopped recording? Mm-hmm. What happens then? Yeah, well, there was I mean, there was one occasion I know you're referring to where like maybe like eight, 12, 13 minutes of an episode. One of the mics wasn't recording for forward thinking. And that's a situation that's. Pretty specific to that show because again, it's like three different mics. Right. And most, sometimes when most of our shows, we just have the two, just have the two mics. And so it, I think what was hap- what happened was uh, one, the third mic was set to the same input as one of the other two mics, and I didn't catch it until about ten minutes into the recording. And that's obviously my bad. I'm a but, human. Well, uh, yeah, but but and and you know, we, but, we as podcasters make mistakes too. I'm not trying to call you out. Oh I no no no. Sure I think that. I think a more interesting example is. Um, in uh, our old office, we had an issue where we shared a space with um, an ad uh, ad agency or ad um, department from a large uh, multinational, um, let's say, uh, television network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Content provider. Yeah, content provider, yeah. sure. And so they were on one side of the office and we were on the other side of the office. And for whatever reason, the thermostat for <laughs> the audio studio in this kind of makeshift call center space that we were crammed into for a while um, was in somebody's office on the other side of the space. And we, right. didn't, we didn't have control over it. Right. And so what was, what was happening, and it took forever for them to even realize this. What was and, happening was... And, and your desk was in that particular studio, It was just too. in that studio. So yeah. I was just in there all the time. Um, so it would get really, really hot and really, really nasty. Um, and at one point, the computer that we were recording on in there got so hot that it shut itself down mid at the very end of a session. Wow. And the file didn't write whatever data it needed to write to the end of that recording to make a complete file, a package mm-hmm. that you can like read in, on a computer. Mm-hmm. So, um, with the help of, of one of the smartest people I know, Casey Pegram, who is a videographer for uh, stuff you should know and brain stuff and, uh, what the stuff and is just an overall, uh, genius of a dude. Yeah. Um, he's he, also, he's also taken many of the production photos for a lot of our shows. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really talented guy. Very, very cool guy and very talented. He figured out how to like convert this file into like hex, like you take a hex editor, which actually like parses the file into visual data, which like if you looked at it, it'll make your head spin. It's like if you, um, let's say you took an audio file and dropped it into like a word, a word mm-hmm. uh, processor. Mm-hmm. That's this is the kind of stuff you'd get where it's like all these crazy X's and squares and, and you're just those, staring yeah, you're into just, the matrix, staring into the matrix. And he figured out like that there was this line of code that like was missing from the end of the file. That mm-hmm. is what it needed to like actually like be readable by, you know, the software that we use. And he figured out, some program that like kind of reparsed the file and added that back in and we were able to save it after this like m- disastrous, you know, shutdown from overheating computer. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so once in a while we, you know, technical issues happen. Uh, it's rare. It's mm. really, really rare. And once in a while there'll be a mistake either. I mean, you know, we podcasters have made them. We've, I've had to come in and re-record a segment when we realized that something we had said was not, um, not accurate mm-hmm. or was a misrepresentation. Like we had essentially what it boils down to is more often than not, it, it stems from a misunderstanding where we think we've got a handle on something. And then the more we think about it, the more we realize, you know, I had assumed mm-hmm. something that turns out not to be true. So more often than not, I've had to re-record something because of something we podcasters have done. It's pretty rare when I have to worry. Or, or about you'll the get the QA back in and listening to it. With a little bit of distance from having done the research and having like had to grind it out and come right in and record it, you start to realize that ah, doesn't sound quite right. right. You know? And then you kind of like go back and check yourself and then, uh oh, and then you have to figure out how many times did I say this thing? Let's, let's go. Uh, no, there was, yeah, there was one point where I remember, and it may have even been the one where we had to re-record because of Joe's mic, but there was one where we realized that we didn't want to have to record the whole show again. Mm-hmm. What we wanted to do was record the first half of the show. And leave the second half alone because it is a lot of work for everybody to come in and do the show once. To have to do it twice is, it's, it's tough, mm-hmm. right? It's just, it, it, it starts to hit on your psyche. Oh, I know. Right? And I remember that we sat down and we were like, okay, did we make any jokes in the second half that we have to <laughs> set up in the first half? 
because we do so many callbacks, yeah. right? And I'm pretty sure that was an episode where we were thinking, all right, what was the joke we made in the second half where we're going to have to make sure that we have the building blocks for that joke in the first half? And there's nothing that will kill a joke faster than having to recreate, recreate it. it. Yeah. Cause it was, it was something that happened organically. We don't write our jokes down most of the time. We don't write our jokes down. Once in a while, our notes will have a joke in it and we're like, okay, this is too good to mm-hmm. not say. We gotta, we gotta add it. Um, most of the time we don't have our jokes written down. We just end up spontaneously coming up with it. So having to recreate spontaneity in a, <laughs> in a, in a controlled and planned way is, it, it just does not feel right when you're doing it. It's what it. they call soul crushing. Yeah. But the cool thing, Noel, <laughs> is that with your work, most – I don't think people would be able to tell. No. You know? It's only the people who have gone through it that are even able to realize it. I try. I no, try to do, do a great best. job. So, uh, yeah, there's a ton of different shows you can – Listen to that, uh, that have Noel's work on them. And, uh, obviously we're going to continue working on new ways to soundscape, add in some stuff, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe come up with a couple of other little clever, um, uh, motifs mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, things that I'm really looking forward to. Obviously it'll be dependent upon Noel's <laughs> spare time, mm-hmm. uh, of which there is precious little. But oh, speaking we of spare time, before we, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say, um, you were part of a fun little spare time yeah. extracurricular thing that that I did with some of the other podcasters here. That's like totally un how stuff works related, but um, it was like a uh, a Lovecraftian radio horror drama. And, yeah, uh, Jonathan got to play a little part. Yeah, it was about a waiter mm-hmm. who uh, tries to serve some drinks, and then that's what the whole thing's about. That's right? what the whole yeah. thing's uh-huh. about. That was yeah. my part. Super fast. Two lines. I knew yeah. it. Yeah, but that's an example of like, okay, so I've got all this stuff that I do for work, and then to like add in another audio project that involves me staying up like from like 10 p.m. to like 8 a.m. on a Sunday yeah. to like knock this thing out, and I'm super proud of it. And you know, did feel- did uh, Ben write that? Or? He wrote it, yeah. and um, yeah, Ben wrote it, and it, and it starred a lot of mm-hmm. the people from How Stuff Works doing various roles. And honestly, like it was something when I heard about it, I thought, oh, it's, it's a shame that I didn't know about that earlier. That would have been fun to be a part of that. And then at the last minute, I think someone fell through mm-hmm. and you needed a person to just record a couple of lines. I was happy to jump in. Yeah, I, well, I, you have to know, too, like, I mean, it was like a deadline was approaching. Yeah. We were just trying to knock this thing out and everyone, even to get it done. It was such a stretch for everyone. But I'm not going to name drop it too hard. But um, check out the Atlanta Fringe Festival audio component if you guys uh, are interested and you can probably figure out which one it is. Yeah, yeah, and uh, radio drama is one of those things that has a special place in my heart. For a long time, I was I was a member of the board of the Atlanta Radio Theater com- Company, and I also wrote several pieces and performed in several pieces of theirs. So actually, if you go, this is a non-How Stuff Works podcast plug, but if you go and check out the ARTC podcast, that's the Atlanta Radio Theater Company podcast, they collect a bunch of their various live performances uh and they put it out as a podcast. And if you listen, if you do a search for my name, you'll see that I've done quite a few with them way back in the day. I haven't recorded with them for a few years now. Check that but out. some of the stuff I've written also shows up there. So, nice. yeah, it's pretty, pretty funny, weird and goofy stuff. So a lot of science fiction, fantasy and horror for those guys. Uh, and well, and also you, you are, you, how many bands do you play in right now or just one or There's is it two? Two. Um, I play, both of them are kind of based out of Atlanta and Athens, Georgia. One of them is called Brothers and the other one's called, uh, Blue Blood. And we're actually doing our record release show tonight in Atlanta at the Earl. Um, so it's, by the time you hear yeah, this, it is too I late. Know, but, I know it's true. But, but it would have been, you would have, you would have loved to have been there. It is there. a thing. It's a thing. I yeah. Do. <laughs> so. Yeah. But that's awesome. You know, and I love the fact that we can kind of get a glimpse into some of the stuff that the folks here at How Stuff Works are doing outside of their jobs because you know it's it's it speaks to the sort of people who work here that m- many of us are working in a very creative industry and either we are creative in the sense that we're the ones writing and then maybe uh, talking about whatever content or we're editing and and shaping that content producing it as well uh, because there is I think there are very specific duties for an editor versus a producer mm-hmm. and, and you have to do both uh, and a publisher mm-hmm. so there's multiple ones there uh, you know the fact that we all have this as our jobs and then many of us outside of work continue to do that stuff in other ways I think it says a lot about the type of people who work here which is sure. pretty awesome 
And, uh, and I mean, pretty much everybody you've ever heard on a podcast, it falls into that category Absolutely. somewhere. Oh, for sure. So, uh, Noel, thank you so much for sitting down and yeah. talking with us. Do you have any, any, for people who are maybe trying to go out there and do a podcast, you know, they're working with whatever software, maybe it's Audacity because it's, it's a free, piece of software. Oh or man, it's 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 easy cuz there's so many really inexpensive little audio interfaces you can get or even if you just have a computer that has like an 8th inch microphone jack, you can get a pretty decent mic and just get like a a transformer or like a a turnaround cable that'll turn your XLR into like the right plug to go into mm-hmm. your laptop. But I mean, if you look online, there are so many like between maybe 50 to $75 audio interfaces that'll take an XLR microphone connection, which is uh what the, you know, higher pro mics use um and then yeah i mean a garage band works great a lot of <laughs> mark Marin uses garage band to record the wtf podcast which mm-hmm. is one of like the most popular podcasts on itunes yeah and tons of people use it and there's even like a podcast exporting option where you can do all the metadata for the mp3 and all that stuff um and then like you said audacity is great it's totally free it works fantastic and it's just there's it's 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 pretty much wide open you know yeah. you just just you can get uh, a decent microphone for maybe less than a hundred bucks and then, you know, just get started. Yeah. You know? There's, there are a ton of hosting, uh, sites out there too. I mean, uh, obviously we have the benefit of working with a major company, mm-hmm. but, uh, the SoundCloud, I mean, you can just put your, all your stuff on SoundCloud. Yep. You can do it there. Anybody can contribute something to iTunes. I mean, there's tons mm-hmm. of like little fledgling, well. yep. fledgling podcasts on iTunes. I do, yeah. uh, I use, I personally use, uh, Libsyn for one of my podcasts as a hosting service, mm-hmm. but you could also use things like archive.org. Mm-hmm. They Absolutely. have a hosting service that's free. Yeah. So there are a lot of, uh, a lot of different places out there if you want to try your hand at this kind of thing and uh, and kind of get an idea of what what Noel goes through whenever he has to has to fix a podcast I've, I've gotten obsessed when I do mine I have to I have to learn to let go because I get obsessed with things like sure let me take out all the us yes yeah. <laughs> I mean and just just one last thing the podcasting landscape in general is so wide open right now because I mean obviously there's a lot of established brands and stuff that people may know about but in general people the idea of podcasting is that there's just a Something for everybody. Yeah. So it's like, you know, while it may seem like oversaturated, there's always room for some new way to do something or some new way to talk about something. And a big part of what turns people onto podcasts is that they can just find random things and just like have a good time exploring and finding new things. So I would never be discouraged by like, oh, there's too much stuff out there. No, I I would always encourage people. I'm like, I, I would say... Think about something you are really excited about, really passionate about, and you'd love to talk about this stuff, whatever that might be. It doesn't doesn't matter what the subject is, but you just really like talking about it. You could have endless conversations. That should be your podcast <laughs> subject because chances are there are other people out there in the world who are just as passionate as you are and will find that podcast interesting. Yeah. Uh, the the danger, I would say, is trying to figure out where the demand is and then trying to create a podcast to meet that demand. Because unless it's something you're already interested in, it turns into real hard work real sure. fast. Oh, yeah. So, Noel, thank you again. And uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it is another guest that I should have on the show, a guest host who should sit here and talk with me about something technical or a subject itself, let me know. Send me an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. The handle at all three of those is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 